turn in your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 22. Acts 22. We're going to read verses uh, 22 to 29. In your pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1107. 1107. And as you find that, let me just say that today we are looking at the apostolic tradition as represented by the Apostle Paul. Well, I got to be honest with you. I could preach about Paul for the next several days. There's things you could say about Paul endlessly. The, the volume of his own work in the Bible and his story has been, has been examined over the generations so that there are volumes written about the Apostle Paul. There's really no way that I could do justice to Paul in a single message. But since our goal is to look at the apostolic tradition of discipleship, both the living of and the seeking of disciples. And so in that way, I found a theme. And I have to be honest with you, as I was preparing for this message over the last few weeks, I had some ideas that I was working towards. And then early last week, I was reading the passage I wanted you to read with me in a minute. And there was a phrase that jumped off the page at me and forced me to completely rethink what I wanted to talk about today. So here we go. We're going to read now from that passage uh, out of Acts chapter 22. Now this, by the way, takes place after Timothy, Timothy, Stephen, excuse me, this is after Stephen, the deacon, he has given a profound testimony that has thoroughly rattled all of the Jews in the area. And that is where we find this situation we're reading. Up to this word, that is what t t uh, Stephen, I don't know why I'm stuck on calling him Timothy. After Stephen said this word, then they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But then they, but when they had stretched him out with whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, "It is lawful for you to flog a man. Is it lawful for you to flog a man?" In, uh, you know, I just did that thing I've done before. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I do this all the time. I tell you that the scripture is about one thing, and then I read the scripture that isn't that scripture. I just did it. I just did it. All right. So this is a story about Paul stirring up a lot of dissent against himself, not Stephen. And so now I have to somehow salvage this moment. This is what we're going to do. Paul is, at this moment in the passage we're reading, experiencing exactly what he presided over at the death of Stephen. Okay, you with me? That'll have to satisfy my desire to make sense of this mistake I made. 
And when the centurion heard him complaining because he's a lawful citizen of Rome and you can't do this to a lawful citizen of Rome, and, and so the tribune um, proceeds to, to uh, explain to him or to, be, to gain understanding of how Paul is a Roman citizen and therefore can't be condemned in the way that Stephen was condemned. So there you go. Stick your finger on that passage and see if you can make more sense of it later. But let's carry on. <laughs> this passage that I have conflicted in my mind somehow with that other event. By the way, I've told you before, you know, I just gave you this instruction about, about counterfeits. Here's another one you should write down and commit to memory. When you aren't certain whether it's the devil or the Lord, a surefire giveaway that the devil is messing with you is there's chaos and there's oppression. So I must be on the verge of saying something profound because <laughs> I'm thoroughly confused. <laughs> Rule of thumb, never take yourself too seriously. These are, these are really great truths that I've learned through trial and error. I want to get ahead and just move on with this because I, I'm you know, having some fun, but there's something really important that we need to hear, something important we need to talk about. And that phrase that jumped off the page at me and demanded a complete revisitation of the theme that I imagined myself preaching, the phrase was this, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. I thought about that and I got cold chills up and down my spine. I thought about the times we're living in. I thought about the things that have dominated our public airwaves of discussion over the last few years. I wrote this down in response to my new theme for this message. It made me get goose flesh to hear that phrase when I realized how those same words ring loudly from our televisions, our digital devices, our radios, our podiums, streets, and even a handful of pulpits. Away with this fellow. He doesn't deserve to be alive. Think about that. We've heard this. We've heard this when people get canceled. You know what canceling is? It's just a milder version of getting rid of people who don't deserve to have a voice, who don't deserve to be part of the public discourse. We are living in times when even religious authorities, we've witnessed it, brothers and sisters, ourselves. We are living in times when religious authorities oppress and have this need to not only redirect people who dissent or disagree, but to absolutely punish them and destroy them. We're living in times when it's not enough to disagree with each other. We have to destroy each other because of what we disagree about. 
You can't walk away disagreeing with me without being convicted of some sort of criminal thought process or behavior or being discarded in the enemy, uh, your enemy's thought. You know, your people uh, that you disagree with about different things, they think as little of you as you do of them, that kind of thing. It's really incredible. And what's funny is, is it hasn't changed. The same thing happened to the Apostle Paul, and it's still happening today. Rest assured, beloved, that if you are as deeply committed to Christ and to truth and grace, which comes through Christ, you will be afflicted. You will experience oppression and chaos. You will have people declaring that you don't deserve a place in the market. You don't deserve to have your voice heard. Thankfully, they probably won't take you out and throw you in a ditch and drop big rocks on you, which is what they did in those days to stone people to death. But they do the equivalent on social media, don't they? When you're wounded by somebody who has an ideological difference with you, when you share a relationship with somebody over a long period of time that seems productive and beneficial to both of you, but then you come to loggerheads over an ideal that you don't hold in common, instead of parting like Paul and Barnabas did to reunite another day after the Spirit has done his work, you just go into a violent opposition with one another on the internet. <laughs> Isn't it incredible? The more things change, the more they stay the same. We haven't learned anything, have we? It turns out that the problem is extremism. So when we talk about the Apostle Paul, the thing we have to keep in mind is, is that he was an extremist. He was violently opposed to the Christian movement. He was orchestrating the imprisonment and death of people who disagreed with his Orthodox Jewish convictions. And he felt very threatened by people like Stephen, for example, because he made too much sense. And it meant that somebody was going to have to change their mind about something. If you talk to people who are educated in the realm of psychology, they'll tell you that to have your mind changed is to experience a kind of death. To have something that you have held firmly in conviction for a long time, perhaps a lifetime, to have that undermined is to experience death or the threat of death. Psychologically, you feel just as threatened as if somebody was pointing a gun to your head. When someone offers a plausible argument against your long-held beliefs, that's scary. And that is the problem that plagued the Apostle Paul. He was absolutely committed to the destruction of Christianity before it got a good foothold in the society 
And then, as you may know, one day he's on his way to persecute some more Christians on the road to Damascus. And pardon my paraphrasing, but the Lord Jesus was standing on the road there waiting for Paul to come around the bend. And then he takes a big two by four and he goes, whack! And he knocks Paul right upside the head and off that horse. And he's laying on his back, listening to the voice of Jesus saying, Paul, why do you keep persecuting me? Because Jesus has a plan for Paul. And you could say he was the originator of the come to Jesus moment. And it happened with the slap upside the head. So how does a guy go from being radically opposed to the Christian movement to being the guy who wrote the most beautiful expression of spirit-led and spirit-filled love in the Bible? How does that happen? Well, it didn't happen overnight. For an extremist like Paul, the first thing that has to happen is, is an extreme, violent, change of paradigm. You know what a change of paradigm is? If you're standing in the same spot looking at things the same way every day, there are millions of things you never notice, but if you shift five feet to the left, you'll see things you never saw before. That's a paradigm shift, okay? When an extremist has a paradigm shift, it's a violent experience. It's an extremely unsettling experience. And so the purpose of today's message is, is to recognize the, the process of witnessing to and ministering with people who are very extreme in their points of view. Because this is where we get the Apostle Paul. There's an old saying that I've used at different times, and you may have heard me say this before, but what you will find in your relationships with people is that sometimes the most radically gifted people are the most radically flawed. The most radically gifted people are often the most radically flawed. And so what happens when you force someone who has extreme tendencies to shift their point of view is you invite them to move into their giftedness or move more deeply into their flawed nature. With the Apostle Paul, all of a sudden the same zeal and the education and the pedigree and the resume that he had, which was extraordinary, became the expression of his love for God and his commitment to expressing the gospel wherever he went. It did not happen overnight. The Bible often compresses time for us by simply saying, and then 15 years later, this happened. Well, Paul went through a period of something like 11 to 14 years where we don't really know a whole lot about what he was up to, but that's because he was being remade by the Holy Spirit. He got knocked off of his horse and then he had to be mentored into beginning to embrace his new paradigm. And then he had to be carefully trained and equipped. And, and you know what? It required people who were extraordinarily patient. 
and long-suffering. It took people who were very courageous because they had every reason to be afraid of him. You know, for all they knew, this was a ploy. He was going to be a mole in their midst, and he was going to bring down all the authorities on them after he'd become accepted. They didn't know. And so Paul had to prove that he had been born again by the Holy Spirit. Remember what we were saying earlier, when you hear someone pray and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a harmony, there's a resonance that you can't miss. This was a case of extremes. And so what we need to realize is is that there are a lot of people out there in our world right now who are suffering with extremism. They're either extremists themselves or they have bought the rhetoric of extremism. And rest assured, I'm not talking one side or another of this thing. I don't care whether you're right wing or left wing. I don't care if you're a liberal or a Democrat. I don't care whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant. I don't care. That's not what I'm driving at. It's extreme behavior that is the enemy. And if you understand what I said a minute ago about the way that Satan works, you realize that oppression is readily witnessed in extremism. Extremists oppress. Extremists create chaos because they want to disrupt their enemies, the people they're opposed to, and they want to oppress the people that they oppose. And so what you're witnessing is the work of the devil. As I said, with Paul, that same extreme nature can be reoriented and reframed so that it's a giftedness that leads to unbelievable attainment for the kingdom of Christ. But just so you know, I've often figured that I would have not lasted long with Paul. I think I would have been a lot like Barnabas. Because I expect that even in his good-natured zeal, he was still pretty annoying. Because you know how some people are just driven? And they can't stand to see you idle for five seconds? You know what I mean. Paul was probably a type A. Plus. So what do we do? Well, look at Paul. If this is about you, I I don't want you to be offended. I just want you to thank God for making you who you are and how you are and recognize that you may be going through something right now that's a little bit like the Apostle Paul's radical conversion. You might be going through that right now and it might be painful and unsettling. Maybe, as I suspect, Paul and his types are likely to be people who like to be in control of things, who like to have it all together. And then all of a sudden chaos comes and it makes you feel completely out of control. And you're trying to figure out how to get it all under control again. And maybe you're feeling oppressed. And maybe, like like Job, it's all the work of the devil, but the Lord 
has something good that he intends to bring out of it, and it's your conversion. I told you a few minutes ago how grateful I am for you. I have to tell you that in all the years I was a pastor, I always loved the congregations I served, but I would leave the churches after six years or five years or whatever, and I'd always feel that I hadn't really accomplished much. And then in the next appointment, some quiet voice that sounds like Jesus would say to me, maybe it wasn't about them, Dan. Maybe I sent you there because you still need some fine tuning. Maybe the whole reason you were there was so I could get you to let go of certain ideas and get you wired better. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? So what we learned from Paul is, is that, well, for one thing, even the most extreme people can change when the Holy Spirit is allowed to work. The thing we don't know and can't really say for sure is, is that in that moment on the Damascus Road, was Paul somewhere deep in his being searching for truth? and ready for something like that to happen to him? I suspect he was. I think maybe Stephen and people like that were getting through to him more than he wanted to admit. And he was fighting the truth with every fiber of his being. And finally the truth just said, you want the truth? Here's the truth. Let's listen to the guy he became as our final words today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to the, be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. <laughs>
What do you think he figured out? He figured out that the spirit-led Christian believer is a person who loves extravagantly. I'll close with this. I heard on the news the other day that there was a huge earthquake in Morocco and thousands have died. And my heart hurt. And I thought, well, you know, it's not like I'm indifferent to that, but why do I feel the pain? And then it dawned on me. Because when you have the love that the Holy Spirit generates in you because you're born again, your heart not only resonates with other spirit-filled believers, but most importantly, it resonates with the heart of God, the heart of Christ. And when our Lord hurts, we hurt. So right now, my heart hurts for those people, just thousands of people, and the many more thousands who will also be affected. It's why we dig community wells in faraway places, because our hearts resonate with the heart of God. This is what Paul means when he says that he's gone from one extreme to the other. Now his extreme is the love of Christ in him. May it be so for us. Amen? Amen. Amen.